0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the holy city of Marisha Lyon at at Tower, right across from the Temple Mount. Uh, where, uh, just a few announcements. Uh, number one is uh, that my Facebook Live feeds, they, they really only get out there with boosts. Boost is about seventy-five hundred shekels. It's like twenty bucks for a boost. Anyone will like the boost. It goes to three, four thousand people. So let me know if anyone wants to boost a boost a class. Facebook does not um, send out classes once they see you post regularly, in order so they can that they can make money. And so so far, all I'm willing to splurge on a daily boost is twenty bucks. You know, maybe someday I'll, I'll up it from there, but. That's what I boost. If you guys pay it, it gets paid like that. If you don't, I'll pay it. Um, The next thing is, this class feeds a family. Every Thursday, whoever comes to this class, we help feed a family. So uh, whatever we give is what that family eats. They come every Thursday to collect The the guy comes every Thursday and, uh, Yaakov Zev, you mind being the collector of that? So money will go to Yaakov Zev. I often forget at the end of class to say it again, so we only do that at the end of class, so remind me at the end uh, that uh, we'll try to feed that family. And uh, more, more is better, meaning this is your chance to give like 20, something that folds, some cash. Because okay? you're, you're literally like, you give 20 shekels, so you know, the kid got a piece of chicken. You know, some, some weeks, he's gotten lucky. Last week we had a couple wealthy people nerves, so he came up with like 1,500 shekels uh, just from this class. But some weeks we're handing him 200 shekels. Never less than that. But so please uh, dig in for that. Next is you're all invited to my house for Shabbat. Um, everyone can come for a third meal. I do an open third meal every week. Um, unfortunately, this will not be with the musical Havdalah experience, which is, which is how we usually do it. We have a, an extended Havdalah concert every week. Um, this week we will not. My address, for those who would like to come, should write this down. It's Hanat eleven. Okay. Hanatsiv 11, which is uh, up Ben Yehuda Street. It's, uh, the, after you cross King George, it's the third right. Hanatsiv 11. Hanatsiv hits Ben Yehuda after King George. Third right, going up Ben Yehuda after King George. Okay. Um, other announcements? I think I'm done with announcements. Uh Oh yeah, and whoever wants to get the merit of the two thousand dollars for the homeless ladies, done to work. She sleeps, I think, at the hotel every night. And Did you know that's where the homeless people go in Jerusalem? Yeah, they they actually go to the hotel. So they work whatever jobs they have, and then at the end of the night they go they go to the hotel, put chairs together or whatever, and go to sleep. It's, uh, it's like the only place to go. It gets a little freaky in the winter. In the winter, we start like trying to find a place for them to stay, but. The summer we just let him sleep. It's kinda of holy. Anyway, she's uh, she's suffering major pain in her mouth and the holy dentist who took care who's taking care of her is giving her uh ninety percent discount instead of ten thousand dollars. Sorry, instead of ten thousand dollars it's two thousand dollars. It's just dental implants up in the top and bottom. Uh, dentures, dental dentures, but they got be implanted, so it's it's kind of an expensive apparatus. He's doing his work for free, so whoever would like to pop that, to you, you know, I haven't even looked at my comments, so it could be someone already offered, but I don't think so. Uh, but it's it's to uh, so message me instead of comment if you'd like to be the one giving the two thousand bucks for this uh, for this lady's uh, dental work. You know what? I should stop trying to get two grand and just let everyone pitch in because I probably would have raised it by now had I done that instead. So let's change the campaign. <laughs> Anyone willing to give a couple hundred bucks or 50 bucks or whatever towards this lady? So we'll put some teeth in her mouth and deal, let her deal with her infections and stuff. Okay. Here we go. Today's class. Hmm. mind uh, turning the fan down to uh low it's got low and high on there it's the upper console just low and high. now you'll find out who heard it thing is, is that God hates religion. That's a really important thing to get. Like God doesn't hate a lot of things. He hates evil, obviously. And, but God also hates religion. The fact that religions brought people to better behavior is God loves. But the religions itself, God doesn't like them very much. Um, for various reasons, I'll mention a few now. Um, one of them is just uh, character. Char- uh, what is it called uh, when you steal someone's an identity theft? There's identity theft issues. Uh, imagine you open your Facebook file to find out that someone's taken over your taken over your page and put all kinds of other details, but keeping your name there and your picture. Like, would you be happy with that person who has stolen your identity online? So that that's the first is identity theft, and what does it mean? Identity theft is uh, is religious leaders, people who develop religion, all those religious people. They are um, they are making up who God is. Whereas Judaism, maybe besides how you tell kids in little kids' school, but but Judaism, we have no idea who God is, and we never ever would ever think even pretend we do. We don't know who God is. We don't even know why he made the world. We know why he made the world once we have a world. But before there was a world, like, what was God thinking? The only way to know would be to get into his mind. And no one's ever had that opportunity to get into the mind of God, to find out why God did it. We know nothing about who God is. We know nothing about why God made the world. Now that we have a Torah, so we have quite a big uh, understanding of, of why this is. But... But other than that, we don't... Yet, religions of the world have gone on to talk on and on about who God is, when in fact, no person could ever know who God is. And the more you'll study in Kabbalah about God, the more you'll realize you have no idea who God is. So that's the identity theft issue. The other issue has to do with um, with uh, committing atrocities in the name of God. Uh, more people have been killed in the name of God than probably any other thing. And... Uh, Showing a complete lack of understanding of God because right before there was something, there was nothing, and that nothing uh, would make nothing, right? Nothing makes nothing. So, since nothing made something, it must be it's God, whatever the previous, whatever was not, not the thing, meaning since nothing makes nothing, so it must be that since the nothing made something, that it's God. So, but whatever God made the world out of was whatever God, you know, used. And if there was only God, so God must have used himself. So all there really is, is God. So who are you killing when you kill in the name of God? Did anyone follow any of that? Um. Who are you killing? You're killing God. So imagine being God, and you have people walking around in your name, killing people. What's up with that? So get it clear that God doesn't like religion. God's against religion. God also has uh, has um, his people is Israel, who were uh, you know kind of a default situation where the humanity had gone against God in every single generation for tw- for twenty six generations, from Adam till Sinai, twenty four forty eight two thousand four hundred forty eight years of humanity going against the purpose of creation. So God decided, you know, okay. Maybe I'd bit off more than I could chew by taking on all of humanity. I'll, I'll just choose one nation. I'll teach them about me. And through them, the rest of the world will understand all about, you know, what we're doing here on earth. The purpose of creation, which is relationship to God. So the world will learn about the relationship through Am Yisrael. But notice what the, how the religions have treated the Jews over the years. How, how have we done with them? They, they've been probably our biggest nemesis. I mean, we've been killed off more by secularism, obviously. You know, There's been six times the amount of Jews killed. Did I say killed? Six times more amount of Jew, potential Jews killed than the Holocaust since the Holocaust. You realize that? I mean, if you do the math, after the Holocaust, the Jews of America were 6 million. So if you do just basic math of like regular birth rates, we would have been at 36 million. And guess what the number of Jews are in the U.S. Six million. So there's a missing thirty million Jews. So the those missing thirty million Jews, and this was not under anti-Semitism. It's not like we got major people killed off. What killed us off was the secularism of uh, of the of America, of Westernism. Uh, also, European Jews. It's eight European Jews are at eighty percent intermarriage, and I think eighty-five percent never set foot in a synagogue. So they have zero affiliation, uh, the Jews who live in Europe. So we're, we're, we've been through hell at the hands of secularism, but, but actual, like outright persecution? Like the, the religions of the world have done a great job of that. Now, this was all God's plan B. He didn't make a plan C. Christianity's not plan C, and Islam's not plan D. There was no other plan. Okay, people made religions, fine. But to go ahead and kill the plan B people... There was only plan A and plan B. There was humanity, and then there was the humanity will learn through the Jews. But to go and kill the Jews that were there, it'd be like you being in a large class in university and you have a TA, teacher's assistant, because it's a very complicated class, and so they have teacher's assistants to be a liaison to the students, and then the students kill the teacher's assistant and then fail the exam because they didn't didn't understand the material. You don't kill your teacher's assistant. You need the teacher's assistant. And so, there, and there's only been a Plan A and Plan B. All other religions, no one's going to argue we're man, we're not man-made. I don't care if a man comes out of a cave and says he heard something. That's man-made. It's only if there's a national prophecy can you have any any legitimate, believable, you know, new stream of thought. You understand? For a new stream of thought to have any legitimacy, it has to be the stream of thought was impressed upon. A, the whole population, not some guy coming out of a cave. <laughs> Imagine, like, this guy came out of a cave, walked into our classroom right now. He looks more like someone who would come out of a cave. Imagine this guy comes out of a cave, walks into our class, and tells us all that God spoke to him, that we're all supposed to do, like, all these crazy things. <laughs> You'd be like, that's nice for you. You know, like, if God wanted us to do all these crazy things, who should he have spoken to? To us. He should have spoke to us. And if you think about it, the requirements of Judaism—the fifty-five thousand laws of Judaism—because don't forget, the six thirteen are only hyperlinks. So the fifty-five thousand laws of Judaism, like obviously, that's a national prophecy. <laughs> There's no way a person could come out of a cave and ask a nation of people to do fifty-five thousand things. Not to mention the fifty-five. Not to mention a nation that's born out of the actual book. And where did the Jewish people come from? We didn't just like pop up. We, we're, we're in the book itself. We're all there. We're all present to this experience. We're the, we're the people who were alive when the book actually came. As opposed to some guy pulling a book out of nowhere saying, like, <laughs> you know, I found this book in the forest and uh, subsequently lost it, but uh, here's what it said. Yeah. this is what it says. No, it's our nation. It's our revelation, and it's the book that was written by Moses, and the lay nekolai in the eyes of all, watching it being, you know, redacted, pure prophetic experience. Yeah. Uh, How does this concept then move into um, our acceptance of like the navi, the prophets, who, you know, for all purposes, like were by themselves. Yes. Yeah, so any prophet, any prophet who comes to say something that would change or add, meaning re- uh, subtract or add, since this is his essentials, we are not going to discuss what we do with him. <laughs> they cannot, they cannot change. They cannot, they cannot subtract or add to the Torah. They can talk about how people better get their acts together, or else here comes the Babylonians are going to be coming. That's Jeremiah, Jeremiah said hear me on, they can say, watch out, like you guys are, you're dropping the ball, like you gotta take up your slack, you know, or else we're gonna get it, because God is, see other nations, if they blow it, so you can send a natural disaster, you know, but when the Jews blow it, uh, the mechanism is not natural disaster, the mechanism is, is Gentiles, he sends the Gentiles for us. The reason that is, is because it's got to be targeted, because most of our history, we've been in exile, and it's not fair to send an earthquake to Turkey because there are Jews there. And what the turkeys do, you know, it's not fair to send a, a flood to India because there are Jews in some village, you know, so what he does is he, he has a, a targeted mechanism. That's why in the, in his in his prophecy, he, um, God calls Nebuchadnezzar, who was the Hitler of that day, he called Nebuchadnezzar my servant. Can you imagine how much, how, how, would you guys love to throw up at the words Hitler, my servant? God saying this? Hitler, my servant. How would you feel about that? You like those words? Hitler, my servant? How about Titus, who destroyed the second temple? Titus, my servant? Well, it happened to be after prophecy at the time. The second temple was destroyed after prophecy. So let's move back. To Nebuchadnezzar, he was part of the prophetic uh, era. He you know, was before the last prophets died. Yermiel calls him several times. Nebuchadnezzar, Abdi. Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. Gentiles are the, are the, are the um, medium. Are the, they are the what God uses to extricate. And it's not really to extricate, but it's to identify the Jews. Because when we lose our identity... So God corrals us in via the Gentiles. As it says, we're an, a sheep amongst 70 wolves. And, the, and the, the wolves have a way of reminding us who we are. Yeah, we're a sheep amongst 70 wolves. Not only that, you wanna hear something really freaky, is that, is that the, the Jews are never allowed to rely on another nation. We're never allowed to rely on any other people. And when you read Tanakh, and you go through our history, throughout the books of Tanakh. Every once in a while, you'll be reading along, you know, we'll talk about how the King of Israel is like making uh, little deals with the Syrians for a little protection, or little deal with the Egyptians for a little protection, or, you know, they make little deals. Whenever you see, if you know Tanakh, when you see that deal being made, you're like, no, you know, we're reading it in 2017, we're like, don't do that. You know, don't do that because it's the beginning of the end. Uh, the king of Israel, the leader of Israel, is never allowed to have, to accept external protection besides God. You yourself, as an individual Jew, you have a, a bit of a restriction for overprotecting yourself. Meaning, meaning you're allowed to protect yourself, but only to the level of what's called normal protection. If you overprotect yourself, you could be in trouble because you have to always have faith in God. And overprotecting yourself has two impacts. One, well, one impact that becomes two. One is that you're, it's a lack of faith. Like you overly insured your jewelry, yeah, which is a great way to lose it. And the, you've overprotected, you've, you've gone beyond your level of, of what you should have left as faith in God. But the other thing it does, once you become overly protective, it sends out a vibrational frequency to people who harm. It sends out a vibrational frequency. People are always afraid of getting ripped off. Yeah. Anyone here afraid? Anyone willing to admit they're always afraid of getting ripped off? Here, I'm sure there's a couple of you. You don't have to raise your hand. Okay, one guy. You notice you get ripped off sometimes. Oh, you're able to protect yourself. Really? Oh, I don't mean like that. I'm talking about getting your stuff ripped off. Oh, I thought you were getting ripped off. I didn't mean like that. What I meant was having someone steal your stuff. Anyone here who's particularly afraid of having their stuff stolen? No one in here? You want to find someone who gets his stuff stolen all the time? Find someone afraid of getting his stuff stolen. It sends a message to thieves like, this is your guy. When we are overly concerned about any one thing, that's usually the vibrational energy that draws it. It's the way God created creation. Everything works vibrationally. You know, like, I vibrationally, like, draw health. I draw loving connection. I draw I draw uh, wealth. I, I draw all, meaning I know the world works vibrationally, so I'm going to draw the good stuff. But you get people who are, like, so afraid of getting ripped off. They're always sending thieves messages to rip them off all the time had this guy come to my house I live under a shul so he's like do you mind uh, bringing my stroller into your house And I'm like why don't you just put it next to our strollers outside the house and he's like no it'll get ripped off and I'm like you know how long these strollers are sitting here meaning in their various incarnations over the years and years of having kids because I've had you know 20 years of bearing, but the you know how long these strollers and he's like how long I'm like um, maybe 18 years you know without any any effect and he's like i promise you rabbi if i put my stroller here when i come down from it it will be gone and he it, he went on to prove it <laughs> not then no i did let him bring it into the house but he said he was in the shook his stroller was full of like potatoes bananas apples everything's packed and he just went in to get some celery and he comes back it was gone he lives in this most random building like you can't even find his address Random building, no elevator up, like, random staircase, four flights up. Where Because he had already parked his stroller at the bottom when he first moved there, but that got ripped off. And so he wound up, like, his wife's, like, it's a little apartment. She's like, you can't bring that stroller in here, but you can leave it on our landing, you know, the top of the stairs on the landing. Gone the next morning. <laughs> Once he told me all this, I'm like, put it in the house. Put in the house. I trained in this during university. In university I used I've always believed to trust just trust 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 trust. obviously you got to be a little careful but but trust um, uh, you know I'm realizing ladies that be careful how much you trust, but 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 don't do the opposite because the opposite you wind up like this guy but the um, anyway so in university I used to really let myself stuff go and so at the end of the year my I was always with these best friends all through every year of university so Five years. At the end of each year, they would tally up how much money I'd lost by trusting everybody. Because then I was still practicing to perfect. Like now I'm like perfect. Like, nothing ever disappears. So, but then I was like practicing. So they would do the math. Like one guy would have a little piece of paper, and the other guy, the other guys would be brainstorming the stuff I lost. And like, yet yeah. one guy walked off with your wetsuit. <laughs> one guy walked off with your wetsuit booties. Um, another guy, someone walked off with your surfboard leash. Another time someone took your bong, another time someone took this, someone else. like they went they went through a whole list of things, they tallied it up and they're like, This year you lost the equivalent of four hundred and fifty bucks. And I was like, What that's that's amazing. That's a savings of two hundred and fifty dollars. And like, what do you mean it's a savings? I mean this became like a ritual, what do you mean it's a savings of two hundred and fifty dollars? If I could pay, again, you know, I was raised as a rich kid. I only got here because of my father's bankruptcy. <laughs> you know, I went up on a free trip as if I ever needed a free trip. I went up on a free trip to Israel because of my father went bankrupt like the week before I graduated college, and a week after college, I wound up in, here at Asher Torah. My hair looked like his, only cur- only with the curls. Yeah. So, anyway, the um, so I said it's a savings of two hundred fifty dollars. Like, what do you mean? I said, if I could have a subscription of $700 a year to never, ever have to worry about my stuff getting ripped off, that's a $700 insurance policy that I'd pay yearly to never have to put any of my precious mind on hoarding my own possessions and making sure no one touches them. I would pay that in a second. So you tell me I lost $450? I'll tell you, that's a savings of $250. <laughs> anyway. That was my fun in college. But I eventually broke Hashem. I uh, got to the point where it's like, I, got, I, don't, I don't have to pay anything anymore. And I get to just have my stuff, you know. Which is great. You know, I can count on one hand how many things I've lost in the last two decades. On one hand. And I've lost stuff. Meaning, meaning, meaning I'm, with the, kids and I'm in the, with the kids at Six Flags Magic Mountain on the most insane, I can't believe what they've done with roller coasters. My goodness. So we got our 10-seater van or 14-seater van out in the Disneyland parking lot you know, way at the end of the lot because, of course, getting my kids ready made it put us at the end of the lot. And, uh, and uh, we're in these rides. We're like flying around upside down everywhere. We're, we're of course, the last people out because we're from Israel. And what are the chances my kids will ever get to go to such a place again? So we're the very last people out of the park. We're, we're crossing the parking lot. You know, the tram's done, so like there's no more tram ride. So the so we make our way across and uh just as we get to my van, I reach in my pocket for the rental car keys. Come on. You know, I've been upside down about fifty times that day. They're so gone. It's ridiculous. You know, in this gigantic six flags magic mountain. You know, so the security's coming to do the last sweep. He saw my van at the end, so he's coming to see, you know, whose van this is. And there's it's freezing. I'm sitting there with my whole family Frozen outside the van and, and he's like what's up And I said I lost my keys So so he's like get in my van I, gets I get in his van he drives me You can imagine I get to lost and found They had to open up the whole thing Everyone had gone home they brought the guys back Opened it up lost and found They're just like here's your keys And, and I'm like where were they And he tells me where they were He says according to my according to my understanding, you were probably on such and such roller coaster, which is about like, like a quarter mile away on the loop. They shot out of your pocket. They flew like a quarter mile because <laughs> it landed in a part of the park. I never went to, like, I was never at that part of the park, but I had been like, like, you know, 300 feet up on a loop. And I guess they went flying out of my pocket there, like it shot across the park and landed in some other like kitty area somewhere. And, uh, and we were off. That was it. Back to my parents' house. Whenever a leader of Israel would would rely on someone foreign power, we got it bad. Like that was like the worst. The worst thing we could do. So that's why whenever I see uh whenever I see our government today involved in relationships with uh Western countries for their, for their heroin, the, um, I, I, I always cringe. The only thing I can ask God for mercy for it is that, is that no one knows what they're doing at this point. Like, I know Netanyahu knows a lot about Tanakh, but there, there's, um, and probably that's why he's still prime ministers, because he knows enough Tanakh to be strong with his position, unlike so many other prime ministers but the uh, but we 're not supposed to be relying on any other country i 'm hoping God has mercy because we don 't have a temple yet we 're only getting to the majority of Jews now, so it could be god 's playing softball with us instead of hardball. but uh, we do have to wean ourselves off foreign foreign uh, uh, protection and foreign support. Is that clear? Yeah the state of Israel is going to have to be on its own, one wolf among seventy. One sheep among seventy wolves. We've got to wean ourselves off the off our li- our dealers in the West. We got to get away from them, and uh, and take care of ourselves here. And so I know you're all raised being used to the state of Israel being totally reliant on on all kinds of foreign powers, but that that the day will that day will come to a close. Um, either because we get the strength to do it, or the or the nations are going to close in around us and close it all down. So we'll see. But but yeah, there's a level of independence that our leadership has to have. Now we started with. With the fact that God hates religion, we mentioned the fact that God made a, a plan B type of experience where humanity gets their relationship via a teacher's assistant, TA, or um, pilot nation relationship, where they would have the Jewish nation as an example, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, I imagine you guys came to this class because you thought maybe I'm more connected to Judaism than you are. Otherwise, you'd be standing up There's nothing wrong with having someone who you think is going to help you get to where you need to go. So the nation of Israel is that person. Every person who's ever succeeded in the world had a mentor. There's no way to get to the top of anything without some kind of mentor. The Jewish people are the mentors of the planet for a relationship with God. The meaning of life only begins with God. Meaning of life only begins with God. If you don't have a God perspective, so then, there, then life is just what you make of it, which is called existentialism. Existentialism is the study of, of well, it's, the, it's basically when you, it's when you make up the meaning of your own existence. And that's probably the most practical way of saying it. It's when you make up the meaning of existence. It's the direct outflow of a lack of belief in God. Because if you don't believe in God, so then what's the meaning of it all? And so the answer is it would just be whatever you make of it. Meaning of life is what you make of life. That becomes the meaning. Now, that's quite arbitrary. Because, you know, if I say a sentence and then ask you guys what you think that sentence means, based on how many people are in this room right now, Will be, you know, I guess, I don't know how many you are, but let's say you're 25. So that sentence has 25 meanings. You get that? If you make the meaning, so then the the sentence I said has 25 meanings. Now, I could ask all of you, like, what do you think it meant? And what do you think it meant? what do you think it meant? And then when you're all done saying what you think it meant, so I would say, guess what? I said it, and now I'm going to tell you what I meant when I said it. So now you'd have the meaning of it. That's not your meaning, but it's the meaning of my actual intent in having said the sentence. Existentialism means that the meaning of life is completely and totally arbitrary. That there's no real meaning. There's no inherent meaning. There's no absolute meaning. There's no objective meaning. Everything is absolutely subjective. Now, for some people that's cool. For some people that's great. I personally had tried it. I tried it. I lived as an existentialist for a while and I made my own meaning. But I personally got bored. And the reason I got bored wasn't because my life was boring. I actually had a very exciting life. The reason I, it became boring for me was because I had a problem. And the problem was, was I always, deep down, since I was little, felt like there was something bigger than me. I'm not talking about God. I meant purpose. Like, there's meaning. Like, there's got to be something beyond beyond these the six inches between here and here. That's meaningful. Now, later in university, I had studied... Um, in the philosophy department and I got to the graduate studies department and studied something called deconstructionism which is kind of the, the uh, deconstructionism is kind of the father of, of existentialism meaning that you make your own meaning deconstructionism is uh, part of uh, high level philosophy where you deconstruct the meaning of all things where nothing really means anything even the, a book you read by an author it's irrelevant what the author thought you get to make your own meaning of that book it's called deconstructionism. They deconstruct everything. By the way, there's truth to it. There's truth to it. We have an entire book of the Torah, and one of our books of the Tanakh is exactly that. It's an entire book on deconstructionism. It's called it's called Kohelis. We got. To, he always sticks his head in to make sure I remember to ask for money for his family. Um, it's called. Uh, that's why I went like um, It's called Kohelis. Um, there's a book by King Solomon, the the greatest wisest man. Why is this man ever lived. He wrote an entire book on the meaninglessness of creation, but he keeps saying under the sun. Yeah, why does he keep saying under the sun? No, Be- yeah, because what? Over over the love? sun is that's meaningful. God's will and wisdom for creation that has meaning. Under the sun, everything's meaningless. It's arbitrary. Each one of us would make our own meaning mm-hmm. of whatever we see. But over the sun, things are meaningful. Now. The only way that life has... Or just to finish my own story on my search for meaning is the, the existentialism. Maybe I'm not creative enough, but I think I'm pretty creative. I got bored. Because I had this sense ever since I was little that there's something bigger. There's got to be something that's objectively meaningful. Because subjective meaning to me was, was, uh, was boring. Now, today I understand it's not only boring, it's dangerous. Because if some guy says what's meaningful to me is something harmful... For humanity, And he gets enough people to believe in that. We're all in trouble. You get that? So, for example, only Hitler could create a movement the way he did that impressed upon whole societies that they invaded. And, and you know, like the Lithuanians said, hey, you Nazis can go home. Just give us the uniforms. We'll be happy to finish the job. Ukrainians did the same thing. Poles did the same thing. They're like, we don't need Germans for this. We We'd love to do it. So, they, so you see how dangerous meaninglessness can be. It became even worse, like in Lithuania. They were killing, like, even worse than the Nazis. hmm It became, like, so... Yeah, sure. And, the people, and it never goes away. Like, like uh, even right now, they, uh, there's uh, neighborhoods in uh, the mountains in New York. In the Muncie area right now, as we speak, are, are like... The, the the these the goyim of these areas are banding together mm-hmm. to get rid of the Jews, or make, at least make it highly unpleasant to live there, so that the Jews will go somewhere else. And uh, this is happening right now. The latest thing is they they've all rallied together and got mm-hmm. they've gotten the govern the count city councils to actually agree yes. to dismantle the Arabs. Which means, all that's, no one's gonna be able to sell their homes on the spot. So that all that does is lock every woman in with her children on Shabbat. Now, now they cannot leave their house with a baby stroller to push the baby stroller. But they're dismantling errors in one county, and uh, two other counties have now applied. Um, that are just areas spreading out from Mun- Muncie. Obviously, the city of Muncie's, Aramont. Those areas are fine because. <laughs> Only people voting there are Jews at this point, but the other areas don't want that to happen to them. Uh, you get, just Google it; you'll see it in the news. Um, you'll immediately get news sites that are carrying the stories. Talking about preserve Rockland, that movement. The movement. That's probably another one. Yeah, is that the guy of Rockland? Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. There's so many people. Are Rockland's one of are the. moving into these places that it's just. I know, like in the areas like Lakewood, where they're saying there's like no more, there's no more room to build houses, so everybody's just moving into like the, you know, the nearby areas. Yeah, Jews have a large birth rate, and uh, and we just, in a matter of a decade, can take over a whole area, and it really freaks them out. It really freaks them out. But this is all part of a greater plan, because Israel would be happy to absorb all those people. You can build all the air routes you want around here. You know, we're happy to take everybody. You know, and, the, and also, imagine the commerce. Imagine the commerce. If uh, right now, like almost no Jews moved to Israel from the, uh, from the Haredi neighborhoods of America. Almost no Jews moved to Israel. It's a, like a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage. So imagine only 10% moved here. 10% moved here. That 10% would bring the other 90 maybe something that, you know, God forbid but you know it's interesting I spoke to a lot of people like, in Israel that moved here from the states a big period of time was after 9-11 I never knew that after 9-11 a lot of people they felt like America's not safe and this is where they belong so maybe it's some truth to what you're saying That maybe it's going to take some kind of thing to happen that there's going to be another wave of Jews uh, you know, yeah. uh, Venezuelan Jews are leaving Venezuela to uh, Israel now. Yeah, French Jews Because of all the anti-Semitism that have been moving here. British Jews are a little slower. Um, But what about the Haredi Jews? I believe the Haredi Jews, if we just get 10% here. So, and especially most importantly, first born children getting married should be in Israel. First born children, because the second you, you, you... they mean, they'll come here for a year or two. The newlyweds. No, you put your newlyweds here period. The next kids are here. The next kids are here. By the time they're at the fourth, fifth, sixth kid, seventh, eighth kid, probably eight kids on average out there. Your your whole family's here. You've had several years to sell off what you got to sell off. And then you move here. But to spring back your newlyweds of your oldest children back to exile when you can, when a Jew can live in Israel as a free man. And freedom. Like don't bring back your your first newlyweds. I understand the families the families who already did this, they're laws. I mean I I'm not expecting anyone to move to Israel. But at least the people who are the oldest kids, the Goyim around New York and New Jersey are already saying, like, get out of here. Like go. Go back to Israel. And the but but at least like wake up, like your newlyweds of your oldest kids should move to Israel yeah. and put them there, buy a home for them. And who better to afford a home in Israel than Americans? You know, so put them in a little place, buy on paper, let them rent the first year. Or you know what, keep them, keep them in New Jersey, keep them in New York for the first two years till their home is built. In beitar or Brotheld, or, or uh, Kiret Sefer, or Be- any other place, uh, Beit Shemesh. Keep them by you. Let your daughter be next to your house for a year or two. But then get her out. Get her to Israel. And let your next kids stay by you for two years and move them to Israel. Until your whole family lives here. But instead... Oh, and of course, they're all, all going to complain that it's hard to make it here. You know why it's hard to make it here? It's because you didn't move there. Because if you move there, now you've got thousands and thousands of Americans... Who, which brings jobs, brings construction, brings, brings uh, retail, brings, brings new business practices. Like, you can't complain about Israeli business practices, which are stinky. They're the worst. But you can't complain about Israeli business practices from afar. You've got to come here and mass and change business practice here by being Americans in Israel and not accepting anything less than American service and American business practice. But we're always going to have this issue if you, if you complain about it from Brooklyn or Muncie or Lakewood. Just move here, and then we'll all have the way Americans do business. Because, because we're talking about millions of people, and in the, when it comes to the Haredi world, we're talking about three-quarters of a million people. And I, I imagine they believe in Torah. I imagine they believe in Torah and the Torah says, God's going to bring us back here. Well, excuse me, but like this whole class is being shared. This whole class is being shared, you know, right here. And while the nations of the world, while the nations of the world are like against us. You know, has there is there any, ever been a greater time to, to, show solidarity not with, uh, in voice but in, with your actual human body? Like, put your bodies here. You know, I mean, do you believe in Tanakh? Like, do you actually believe in Torah? Do you believe that tefillin? Do you think tefillin counts outside of Israel? I believe it does, but there are sages who didn't. There are people in our Talmud, in our Mishnah who believe that mitzvahs are only for the land of Israel and outside the land of Israel they're keeping Shabbat outside of Israel so you know how to do it when you get back so so what's up with that? (laughs) anyway I hate to be like Yirmiyahu like Jeremiah who would like be this prophet of intensity and stuff you know, I'm sorry to do that to you guys in the uh I just—he's kind of my. Jer, Jeremiah is kind of my my favorite prophet. I always feel like say hi everybody. Here's the people who are taking my rant, my tirade. Yeah. Um, Jeremiah has always been my favorite prophet, because I feel like I'm I'm the reincarnation of Jeremiah. Not that I'm a prophet. It's just that I spend my whole life saying to the Jewish people like, wake up. And throughout history, it's been the fact that if we don't wake up ourselves, God has his emissaries to wake us up. And I always feel like I'm this like, prophet of doom like saying, like, you know, let's, if we really keep the t- If you're keeping Shabbat, why can't you believe in the rest of it? If you're keeping kosher, why can't you believe in the rest of it? And just come to Israel with some pride. And, and stop with your you're, you know what happens is uh, is that uh, people there's, there's this famous thing that people it's called a self um, it's called a self-deception I'm just going to end with this this is a way that people deceive themselves it's called self-deception but the way people deceive themselves the actual mechanism of self-deception is when you have something dysfunctional and you turn it into a shita, you turn it into a a hashgufa. You have a You, have, you turn it into a, a way of looking at life. You understand what I'm talking about? Anything you guys have that's dysfunctional in your life, you will. Your brain will somehow work out why it's supposed to be that way. It's the way we are. You know, if someone like, for example, thinks they can never will never thinks they never will have love in their lives, will come up with a whole world view of why, and then go with the rest of their life without in their lives. We all. If you meet people in their 40s, 50s, still single. if you get to know them well, you'll see they've they've created a whole self-deception worldview of why they stay single. And you can set them up with whoever you want. It doesn't matter because it goes against the grain of their actual culture that they've created. So too is all the philosophy and hashkaffa and shitas of the Jews who live outside of Israel. They've all created a worldview that somehow works for them of why they don't live here now. But it's it holds no water. It is a vessel filled with holes. And again, I don't want to scare anybody. But like, if you believe in Tanakh, you can't possibly be someone who thinks that this is going to go unnoticed by God, and, and this is going to go unnoticed by the Gentiles, his his uh, his emissaries. Like, who are we fooling here? Like, do we be- do we believe in it? Or do we not believe in it? Like, uh, do we believe in Torah or do we not? Sorry, but what one of the purpose of Mashiach is not to make all Jewish people... Keep... You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.